Here we go, here we go. Welcome to Police Pod Talk. Whoop, whoop, it's the police. Don't look in your rearview mirror. This podcast covers the latest police news along with hitting the hot topics you've been talking about all week. I'm your host, Cleveland. Thank you for joining us. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Welcome to Police Pod Talk. I'm your host, Cleveland. Thank you for being with us. Today on Police Pod Talk, we have a great thrill. It's a thrill for me to finally get this person to volunteer to come down and talk. We have Adrian Gorman. She is a director of Adult Protective Services out of the Allen County Prosecutor's Office here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I'm not sure, but she's going to let us know how long she's been doing that. And I have to be, I'm embarrassed to say that I knew nothing about Adult Protective Services until I stumbled upon them. But we've got Adrienne Gorman, and she's going to talk a little bit about her job, her life, some of the good and bad that she may have seen, and explain exactly what is Adult Protective Services. So, Adrienne, you can say hello to the audience. Well, hello, and thank you for having me. All right, all right. So, Adrienne Gorman, go ahead. Explain to us, first off, what is Adult Protective Services? Okay. Adult Protective Services is a is actually a state agency um, that was created back in 1985 mm-hmm. by the Indiana State Legislature, mm-hmm. um, where there are different units across the state, and each unit is responsible for investigating allegations of abuse, neglect, and exploitation of people who are considered to be endangered adults. Endangered adults. What is an endangered adult? An endangered adult is um, anyone over the age of 18 who um, may have some type of uh, intellectual disability, um, some type of developmental disability, or um, incapacitated uh, by having either Alzheimer's disease, dementia, or something that would affect their ability to understand the consequences of their actions or decisions, and they may need help in that area. Okay. So what was the age again? Uh, anybody? 18 and over. 18 and over. Okay. And how did you stumble upon becoming the director? Where did you come from to become the director? Well, Prior to working for Adult Protective Services, I did work for an agency, a local agency that served individuals who um, had developmental disabilities and intellectual disabilities. And I did that for about 10 years. And I started as a direct support staff person and uh, worked my way up to being a supervisor over several different programs um, that included people with intellectual disabilities and adult foster care and children's foster care. Okay, so you've been in this type of business for some time. How, yes. how many years? Well, uh, almost 20 now. Almost 20 years total. Mm-hmm. But how long have you been with Adult Protective Services? I have been with Adult Protective Services for 12 years. Okay, but not as the director for all 12. No. So you were out there being an investigator also. I started yeah. off as an investigator. And then when our previous director, Katie Korn, when she retired, I was selected by our prosecutor, Karen Richards, to uh, take over Katie's position and become the director. So where you're at right now, do you enjoy what you're doing? I love it. (laughs) How many people do you have working for you? It is six of us total. Six total. And when you said a unit, uh, what does that mean? A unit? uh, A unit consists of a number of counties per Mm -hmm. unit. 
and and our our county is uh, we're hub in Allen County, but okay. we cover the nine northeastern counties of Indiana. With just six people. Six people. Okay, so you're constantly busy. Nonstop. No, <laughs> nonstop busy. How many of these units are cover Indiana? I believe it's seventeen units. There's a couple of units like we're th- we're considered a unit three, but there's few units that are like one and one a and okay. two and two a and there's um another one like in our, the southern region that's broke up like that okay i got you okay with your six investigators mm-hmm. how do you split up what they do i mean do they split things up or they just take whatever comes to them well we kind of have a system for the majority of them we have a system where um, they're assigned a couple of counties I have uh, one investigator who works as her official title is a case monitor. So um, once the investigators have completed their investigation, the case monitor is uh, responsible for following through on whatever services the investigator referred them to. I got you. So how are you guys funded? We are funded through the state of Indiana. Okay. All right. We're but you work you work out of the Allen County Prosecutor's Office. Yes, um, it's a contract with the state of Indiana and um, the Allen County government that we are housed here in Allen County Prosecutor's Office, um, and uh, but it's all of our dollars are all from the state. All from the state. Okay. Now I, I know my listeners are probably having with the, with the baby boomers, you know, starting to retire, getting older. Some of them are their parents and things like that. Talk someone through, let's say their parents are getting older, they're not taking care of themselves at home. What, what would this person do? Well, uh, first and foremost, they should start off with uh, trying to get a medical evaluation. From, from who? From their doctor. Oh, okay. All right. I'm with you now. And then what, what would they do then? Um, from, from that point, um, really trying to get a baseline of where, where they're at. Um, cognitively if if they can still function on their own if they can still um, manage things in their household on their own um, the the, getting a doctor's input on that and their professional medical opinion is what is most important sometimes we do have people that don't cooperate though you mean the parents don't want to go to the doctor things like that exactly Okay, so then what's the next step? Let's say they're not going, but you can clearly see something's going on. Well, um, you know, every case is different. Um, you can have situations where where you would need uh, to get possibly law enforcement involved to if they are a danger to themselves mm-hmm. or to other people, then you would uh, get law enforcement involved. Um, what they have the power to do uh, 24-hour holds to get someone to a medical facility a lot of times people will call us first um, mm-hmm. and then we can do some of that background and inf- get some of that background information and conduct our investigation and determine whether or not we do need to get law enforcement involved if we do then you know at that point we'll our, do our best to try and get them to a hospital to get them evaluated so that's where you work with the your local law enforcement in yes. the, even in the nine counties, you're working with some police officer somewhere. Yes. And they have the power to actually take somebody out of the house? Yes. 
So when I mean take them out, actually putting hands on and, and lifting this person up out of the house. Well, How you know, in, in these situations, it's not like a criminal um, investigation or they're not in trouble. So the best thing to do is work with um, the individual and try to convince them to go. Um, and when law enforcement gets involved, they're not going to roughhouse these individuals and force them into the back of a police car. Mm-hmm. Their their main goal um, and part of their training, the police have been trained to uh, properly evaluate these individuals and do their best okay. to get them out of the situation into a safe situation. Right. Okay. So let's say mom and dad, they make it to mom or dad, make it to the hospital. Okay. They're getting checked out by a doctor. What is the next steps for that, that the kids? What do they need to do? What do they need to know? Well, um, in some cases, they've already set up where they have, uh, you know, worked with an attorney and got a power attorney in place. Um, a lot of those power, powers of attorney um, will state on them that you need medical professional opinion on uh, their ability to make decisions for themselves. And if they don't have a power of attorney, then they're definitely going to have to work with an attorney to get either a guardianship or um, a health care representative. And when you're talking about a guardianship, all these things, now does a power of attorney cost a lot of money for mm-hmm. someone to get? It varies. Okay. It just depends. It probably really depends on the attorney that you work with. Okay. Um, you can get powers of attorney. You know, they do have those documents online and mm-hmm. available to you, but... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it, it would be best to work with someone who's, you know, uh, who knows what they're doing, know, knows the language of the power of attorney. Mm-hmm. And the parents really want to be protected. They don't want to sign a document that gives their child or someone else free range of, of you know, of their finances. We have seen situations where um, I had a case one time where a lady signed a power of attorney and did not know that she gave the power of attorney permission to gift himself and he he did that quite often now when you say gifted himself because uh, some of the listeners have no clue what you're talking about meaning what that mean? he was able to with his power of attorney re- take money out of her account okay and pay himself hmm. even without her knowledge okay all right so i mean i know you can't like really recommend uh, an attorney but have you guys worked with attorneys that have done a really good job for you and the, the client? Yes, we've, we've worked with quite a few attorneys all over our nine-county region. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, you know, prefer or refer anyone to a particular attorney. We tell them that, you know, here's a list of attorneys that we know, know the elder laws and mm-hmm. are familiar with guardianship. And you can choose from this list, and we encourage them to interview them and select someone on their own. Gotcha. Okay. Let's say a neighbor, you're watching a neighbor going out and getting the trash or the newspaper, and you suspect maybe they shouldn't be living alone because they're not, they have the same clothes on. I mean, what would you tell that person to do? Do they call? Who do they call? Well, it just really depends on what their concern is. Well, they're concerned that the neighbor's not, you know, eating, bathing. Uh, the yard looks a mess, taking care of the outside of the house. Well, in, in a situation like that, and especially if they don't know any family, 
Um, and it's not an emergency situation. You wouldn't call 911 if it's not mm -hmm. an emergency. They can call our office mm -hmm. and they can make a report. Um, we actually take reports through email, through faxes, and um, our hotline, and they can give that inf all the information that they have mm -hmm. and what their concern is. Okay. Okay, and they see that, and you guys send somebody out to the house? What we will do is try and get as much background information during our initial investigation to see if there's, you know, if we had any previous cases on them, if we can locate any family, and we will conduct a home assessment to determine, you know, maybe it's just a person who doesn't like to bathe and doesn't like to change their clothes, and that's just their lifestyle. That sounds like my son. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I got to be checking on him. Yeah. But I don't think, well, he'll meet the age requirement. But <laughs> So if you get there and it is their lifestyle, but they're doing fine, they're, they're eating and everything, you just leave them? Well, that is their right. To, to live in a dirty to, house. To live however they want. Your lifestyle choice is, is your right and part of being an American. Okay. Uh, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to assimilate everybody else's ideals. Gotcha. And there are a lot of people that, you know, don't keep house the way that you or I would like. Mm -hmm. And we can't make a judgment on that. Hmm. As long as the home is safe gotcha. and um, they have their, mi their mind is clear to understand the consequences of living in a home that's not sanitary, then that's their right. Okay. Now, with the calls coming in from the state or the calls coming to your office, do you find a lot of them are uh, false reports? Or someone just maybe getting back at somebody? or We have had, we, we do have that, like retaliation reports. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And is that number high or not? I wouldn't say it's high. I would say it's a small percentage, but it, yeah. but it happens. Okay. But you still send somebody out to have to we, check it? We will still check it out. Okay. Now, like I said, you've been doing this a while. Uh, you were an investigator, and now you're the director. Mm -hmm. Give me, give me uh, one good story. Because, see, I heard one one time about something about jumping a fence and a dog chasing you, but maybe you don't want to talk about <laughs> that. But as an investigator, it has to be something that happened that uh, really sticks with you, be it good or bad. Well, I would say a good story where uh, – an elderly lady who had no immediate family. Um, she did have a distant nephew who everybody in the distant family thought was taking care of her. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, he was helping himself to her money, and she had quite a bit of money. Um, I would say that that was a, a good outcome because Adult Protective Services was contacted. Now, how were you guys contacted on that one? Actually, that started off with a, a 911 call by the victim. She, you know, she's an elderly woman, late 90s, and she made a 911 call because she couldn't find her mother. So, oh, okay. so that, you yeah, know, that's, that's a clue right away. That triggered a report to us. <laughs> okay. And that, you know, her mother had died many, many years before that, but when you talk to her, it was like her mother was there with her. Uh, you know, her mom was gotcha. gone to the store. There was a reason why she wasn't present. Gotcha. Um, but in in conversations with her and, and, and assessing how she was living, it was very apparent that um, she was being neglected. Hmm. And um, this nephew who was supposed to be in charge of helping her, um, it didn't take much to find out that 
he was actually writing more checks to himself hmm. than he was with helping her. Were there charges filed on him? And uh, Eventually, after a lengthy investigation, um, we actually helped collect a lot of the information on what the nephew was doing, and then we turned that over to law enforcement, um, the Fort Wayne Police Department Detective Bureau, um, and after they conducted their investigation, they were able to file charges against him. Well, good. Now, with that being said, is one of the biggest things you guys see are the uh, scams and uh, rip-offs of old people? That is, that's probably our most uh, the reported situation is some type of scam or some type of financial ex- exploitation. Right. Now, because that, that seems to be popping up a lot in the news. Are you guys, like, investigating that uh, heavier, or are you getting help from the state or from anybody? Well, what, what our unit has done, um, not, I can't say that all the units in Indiana has done, has did what we've done as far as uh, trying to address the scams and the exploitation we have one investigator that primarily investigates all of our allegations of abuse, neglect, and well, the uh, allegations of exploitation. Okay. And um, those reports can range from um, the telephone scams, the email scams, all the way to, uh, you know, adult children taking the parents' finances. Mm-hmm. Um, some type of sometimes there's elaborate scams um there there's so many that you know it's hard to to bottle them all up in one conversation right right and just to recap real quick uh, for those of you just tuned in i'm talking with adrian gorman she's the director of adult protective services out of the allen county prosecutor's office here in fort wayne indiana and uh, she's just going over a little bit of what her job is and uh, the areas that they cover And uh, we just finished up talking about scams, but it seems to me that there's a lot of money being lost uh, in scams by elderly people. Uh, Is that what you're seeing too? Yes. A lot. Um, And it's not so much that they don't understand. Do you think it's just that they're being tricked? It's a combination of both. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes they don't understand. Sometimes they are trusting um, I, I had a case when I very first started, one of my very first financial exploitation cases was an older lady, mm-hmm. um, pr- very wealthy, lived alone in her, in her house. Um, her adult children would come over, you know, on a weekly basis and check on her and everything seemed fine. She always uh, was getting maintenance done on her home. And so it seemed like, you know, she's up on everything. Mm-hmm. Um it, it took a bank teller to notice that she had multiple checks coming um, through her account, clearing her account to the same individual, and every one of those checks had some type of um, memo about work being done on her mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. And just so happened, the person who was cashing these checks, the perpetrator, he banked there as well. And so they discovered a trend in his account hmm. that not only this elderly woman, but some other ones right. that he was doing work on their homes. Ah, um, okay. If you looked at the memo, she may have had her driveway paved four or five times in a year, her roof replaced four or five times in right, a year. Right. And all of those are unusual. Uh, you know, those are maintenance that's done maybe once every 10 years. Right, right, right. And, uh, 
she was paying to have them done a couple of times a year. Yes. Okay. By the t- time it was all figured out, she had spent like $88,000 in one year. Wow. In wow. one year. And um, so, you know, in a situation like that, she her memory, her short-term memory uh, just was not intact. Mm-hmm. And her long-term memory was, was perfect. Mm-hmm. But her short-term, she didn't remember that she did, that she already paid this individual. Right. Okay, with a, a lot is being said, and people like me, first time hearing that there is an adult protective services, not child protective service, but this yes. is for adults, kind of tell them what do they need to do when they suspect, one, their family, loved one, mm-hmm. mom or dad may need help. What's the first couple of steps they need to take? Well, first and foremost. Um, well, I'm going to say they're not living with them. They're maybe out of town, but we'll give them some help here. Well, if if they feel it's to the point where someone needs to intervene uh, or even just to investigate it, to see if their concerns are valid, mm-hmm. they, they should make a report to Adult Protective Services. And technically, um, the Adult Protective Services law is that every individual in the state of Indiana is mandated reporters. So if they suspect any abuse, neglect, or exploitation, they should report that to their local APS office. Okay, that would be the first thing they need to do. I would say so. Okay. Now, when we say elderly people, we're, we're also talking about people with uh, intellectual disabilities, too, yes. right? And so I don't want people to think that we're only talking about people uh, who are baby boomers. Yes. Okay, so that, covers, that will cover that also. Okay, and if they suspect... Uh, someone's taking advantage of them money-wise, taking their money, same thing? Same thing. Mm-hmm. The same premise ap- applies. They are mandated reporters. Okay. Um, if, you know, if it is a staff person that has a concern, they are required to first report to their supervisor. Um, and when it, you say staff person, where are they working at? If, if it's an agency, if it's an individual who has an intellectual disability okay, that's receiving services okay. from an agency, All right. they are staff people are required to report to their supervisor. And if the situation doesn't get investigated, doesn't get investigated or doesn't change or get better, mm-hmm. then they can go ahead and make a report to Adult Protective Services. Okay. Let's say they're in a nursing home. Okay. Same thing. You're going to visit your mom, dad, or whatever. It's a little different in a nursing home. If it's a situation where there's actual abuse, Mm -hmm. uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, um, if any type of uh, exploitation, Mm -hmm. it it can happen in a nursing home. There's people that have items stolen from them, um, credit cards that get disappear and get used. Mm Those those incidents can be reported to Adult Protective Services, and they should be. Okay. But primarily, it should be reported to the facility first, the nursing home facility. Okay. All right. I'm with and you. they're required to do their own report. All right. And their their report is it goes to the state of Indiana, the Indiana State Department of Health, and it comes to us as well. Okay. And that kind of just starts the whole ball rolling. Yes. It's okay. So nursing home, they do the, really, it's almost the same thing. Almost but the same thing. start with the nursing facility first. Yes. But there's, okay. Now, what, what they cannot, well, should not report to Adult Protective Services about a nursing home is any nursing care that, that 
an individual feels that their loved one is not receiving. So if it's a care issue, like mm-hmm. they're not answering call lights, they're leaving them um, and, you know, wet and not taking them to the restroom. They're not mm-hmm. feeding them appropriately. Right, right. Those are reports that go to the Indiana State Department of Health. But even if they made a mistake and contacted APS, would you direct them that way? Or? We would call. We would make sure that we call the complainant and let them know who to properly report it to. In a year's time, how many reports come to you in your unit, you think? Um, On an average? Maybe about 2,500. Okay, and in those 2,500, do you... Somebody has to look into every one of them. We, we look at every single report that mm-hmm. comes through. And there are uh, reports that are not assigned necessarily to an investigator, mm-hmm. but um, either myself or my case monitor will continue to get the follow-ups on a situation if, if it's not something that was warranted to be opened up as a case. Now, I, I read something uh, where you said there's a certain criteria someone has to meet. What is that criteria? As far as being an endangered adult? There you go. Yeah. So you know better than me. But go ahead. What is that criteria? Well, being 18 and over. All right. And they have to have some type of intellectual disability. Okay. um, Or a cognitive disability like Alzheimer's or uh, dementia. All right. Uh, And also um, mental illness if the individual is being abused, neglected, or exploited. Not necessarily if a person with mental illness is having, you know, an episode, a manic episode, or, or that they're having a behavior. Right. That's not, you know, there's nothing that Adult Protective Services can investigate about that. But it's more so that if, if a person who has a mental illness is being physically abused or sexually right. abused or um, exploited, then those reports come to us as well. Now, if that was actually happening at the moment, you wouldn't be calling APS, right? Well, I would encourage anyone that if something, if there was something criminal going on, okay. that they would report that to law enforcement first. Right. We unfortunately have had reports sent to our office that were crimes. And mm-hmm. because of the delay of reporting to law enforcement, it, it you know, it, it, it hurt the case that yeah. hurt the criminal case i got you so you guys work really close with the police department yes we do okay and there are times when you guys are at the same scene at the same time yes is that fine? okay all right and there's a lot of times that law enforcement will respond um and they will deal with the situation and um they will send make sure that we get the police report so that okay. we can follow up okay so in a nutshell aps does what for elderly and intellectually uh, disabled people? What well, do you do? Just well, in a nutshell. <laughs> well, I would say, in a nutshell, we are a reactive agency, meaning that we don't do anything preventative as far as trying to prevent a, abuse, neglect, and exploitation. Besides educating the community that there is a law that protects individuals but reactive meaning that when a situation takes place if there is something that um, that they meet the criteria they need immediate assistance we will investigate that and determine what services are needed for them okay all right well that answers that and it just sounds to me like you've always been your life has been helping others Concern for others. Pretty much. Because <laughs> I, I read something, too, where I think it, is it you, you and your husband uh, 
have a uh, was a basketball program, right? Yeah, that's and that. That's what started. we do in our personal life. <laughs> so, <laughs> Giving back yeah, to the youth. There you go. Yes, I heard. I heard that story. But been doing that for for many years. Is what I'm hearing, right? Is that right? Yes, that's my <laughs> unpaid job. <laughs> okay. Well, Adrian, uh, we really appreciate you being here with us today and educating us just a little bit about adult protective services. And I said, not a lot of people know it. And uh, I, like I said, I was embarrassed to say that I knew nothing about it. And uh, we appreciate you sharing your job, your life, and the things that other people can do to help along the way. Uh, thank you, Adrian, for being here. Thank you very much for hanging out with us. Email us at policepodtalk at gmail.com with any topics you'd like us to tackle or comments or questions about the topics or the conversation you heard today at Police Pod Talk. Well, once again, we'll see you next week on Police Pod Talk.